Oh my God, this would be a great time to eat a sandwich. show where when we get knocked down we get back up again <laughs> yes that is the right song okay good i got it nailed it i'm Lindsay tucker i'm your host i'm joined today as always with aviv rubenstein hello hello it is i aviv rubenstein in broadcasting to you from just the noisiest room what's the, happening in, the, in there it's there's i'm right by the there's street there's a ghost in there's a rocking like a, chair yes and the <laughs> motorcycle going by it's it's it, it ain't it's not it's not my favorite uh i should i should i thought you had a podcast like uh so okay i so okay (laughs) story time before pre-story story so i moved into a new condo building there i there's like a storage unit in the garage like right off of the garage and i was like ah i can turn this into a podcast studio and when i start to set stuff up there's no electricity in there and there's no internet Oh my god! Like there isn't even cell service, and so I'm like, well, shit. And so I still that's still in the plans, but I need to figure out. There's like a cafe, like literally attached to the building, and so I'm gonna be like, hey, cafe, if I give you like I don't know, thirty bucks a month, can I just run an extension cord, an Ethernet cable, from your internet to like set up my little studio? And they might would say you yes. be drilling a hole in the wall? No, I I was like. I had like floated that idea at the first HOA meeting and they're like, well, you are absolutely not drilling a hole through anything. Because um, I was like, can we just like get a plug in there? And, and they're like, no, that electricity is for everybody. And if you're using it for your work, you, like, like that's not cool. And I was like, oh, okay, but. But some people have their lights on all day and some people have their lights I on know, never. I know, and everyone can use it. Oh, whatever. It's fine. But okay, so I'm going to see if the, <laughs> if the cafe will let me. Let me do it. But yes, podcast studio to come. That's one of the, the things on my vision board in 2022. Sick. Because I just heard a cop go by. Or it's an ambulance. An ambulance. <laughs> There's an ambulance right, right outside the window. So <laughs> listeners, I apologize. You probably won't hear that, that, those, that many things but because I'll edit it out. But, you know, whatever. Forgive us. Uh, how was your New Year's, Lindsay? Uh, it was great. It was um, <laughs> great. Moving you know, on. That's it. That's all you need to know. I went that's to bed. All? By midnight. Yeah. I almost made it till midnight. My boyfriend woke me up and was like, you have <laughs> to get up and watch the ball drop. And I was like, okay. And then I Wait, went upstairs. Wait, the ball drop? The ball, you're in Denver. The ball <laughs> no, drops they, at 10 p.m. That's what I thought. I was psyched for it. I was obviously drinking for 10 p.m. But then <laughs> this is the first year that I've noticed they <laughs> adjusted moved the it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I was in bed by 1030. <laughs> and this is my first new year's in this new place and there was like fireworks what what felt like fireworks right outside my window and uh the dog was actually pretty chill about it the dog was fine aviv got a new dog i got a new dog i adopted a dog his name is chubbs you is can follow he named him after in- happy gilmore no he was not named after happy gilmore oh, um you can follow him on instagram at live.laugh.chubbs great will do already did it I know you did it. Listeners at home, <laughs> you know that we do this for other people, right? <laughs> yep. So what are we talking about today, Lindsay? Today we are 
talking about Chumbawamba tub thumping, I think. Yes. So, <laughs> so we're busting a myth right off the top. What is it? It's actually Chumbawamba. No. It is. I mean, it's spelled like that. It is. It's spelled like that. It's spelled Chumbawamba. Right. But is that how it's supposed to be pronounced? I think people pronounce it Chumbawamba. Okay. But like, as I was doing research for this, I was like, why is, the, why is nothing coming up? Oh. And it turns out because it's pronounced, it's spelled it Chumbawamba. Got it. So I yeah, knew that I'm fairly certain we had the CD. Oh, so <laughs> so you're you're so you know a little bit more than you're letting on. Um, okay, so Chumbo Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. It is literally the only song by Chumbawamba that anyone's ever heard. But we're gonna take a listen to it right now. Maybe it was on Jack Jams, or that's what I call music. It probably was on Now That's What I Call Music. All right, We're not going to talk about Now That's What I Call Music. This, this episode has everything. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. Except for Jock Chips. Except Jock Chips. It's weird we just went right into the song. You didn't tell us yeah. anything about the band. Nope. Because <laughs> we're going to listen to the song first, and then we're going to talk about the band. Great. Johnny Boy pissing the night away. Mm-hmm. Or Danny Boy. Danny Boy. <laughs> Laga drink. Yeah, I didn't know what they were saying. I was a kid. I didn't know what lager was. <laughs> Yeah, cider drink. Can't leave out the gluten-free people. I like cider. Billy Joe. Yeah, the bleach blonde hair thing. Yeah. The eyeliner. So we're going to talk a lot about him. That guy's name is Dunstan Bruce. Two first names, Dustin. Dunstan. Dunstan. Okay. One first name, but it's his last name. A lasty firsty. Classic. (laughs) Lasty firsty. Yep. playing every character like Andre like 3, in Alanis Morissette no there are actually eight members of Jumbo <laughs> oh my god
Okay. A, like Jamie Lee Curtis vibe. Uh, her, yeah, her name is Alice Nutter. Is she part of the band? Mm-hmm. Nutter, ha. I don't. So most of these names are not real. Um, <laughs> spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what is your history with this song? You had the CD. I had some CD Maybe. with it. With it. Yeah, I knew the words, but I I didn't know what Lager was. Obviously, I didn't know what they were saying at that part. But everything else, yeah, I pretty much remembered all of the lyrics. Yeah, because there aren't that many. We'll go <laughs> into the lyrics a little bit later. I remember it being like a top five at nine contester. Mm-hmm. Like it was always in the top. What year? Like around what time of your life? Oh, this was nineties. Mm-hmm. Maybe like ninety-four. It's actually a little later. It's ninety-seven. Whoa! Yeah. So this song came out in nineteen ninety. This song and record came out in nineteen ninety-seven. What do you think the song is about? <laughs> Pissing the night away, getting drunk at a bar, getting knocked down because you got in a bar fight, but you're getting back up again, or you're just down. That's why you're drinking. But you're going to get back up again. Great. Love that. <laughs> we'll see if you're right. Okay. So Chumbawamba formed in 1982. Okay. So they were at it for a while when they got They're at it for a while. They forget, they're together for 15 years before their first and only major hit, which is Tub Thumping, which is the song we just heard. And the band drew on genres of punk, rock, pop, and folk. and, pop and they, folk. Mm-hmm. Really? And th- not just this song, but the whole band. Their anarcho-communist political ideology led them to have a disrespect for authority okay. and to rally for animal rights, pacifism, class struggle, Marxism, feminism, wow. gay liberation, pop culture, and anti-fascism. I'm super into this whole list. Yes, I was going right? to say, I kind of remember them having like an anti-authority like reputation. Mm-hmm. Did not know the details. Yes, yeah, so so today's <laughs> episode is going to be about these details. Great. I'm excited. Okay, so they formed in 1982. They were very ahead of their time, really. Super, in, in terms of their politics, super, super ahead of their time. However, like, w- the, you can't. I'm not, I don't want to speak for everybody, but like, I don't get class struggle, Marxism, feminism, gay liberation, pop culture, and anti fascism from that song. Oh, totally. Because that song's just like a pop banger. Totally. But in the early and mid 80s, they were making music that sounded like this. This song is called Three Years Later. And did you say they're British? I did not. But are they? Yes. Okay. Three years later. Complacency sets in. This is very different from. Oh, just wait. This is the intro. Watching the tally. What's the tale of it? Thursday to Thursday, radio times day. It's like a Beatles outtake. Yep, they do a lot of Beatles stuff. very like underproduced mm-hmm. garage bandy yeah this is yeah like like punk like capital p punk from the mm-hmm. late 70s early 80s definitely 
I'm shocked. And so this was a, on um, Crass Records, C-R-A-S-S, and that was just like a record label that did music like this. Okay. And do you know when they first got signed? Was it 82 or whenever year you said? So signed is, is a, is a, this song is from 1982. Um, so, no one was, is signed at this point. They're just like, they found crass to like slap their label on it, um, on their, this, this vinyl. It was like a vinyl record label. Um, but yes, this is 1982. And then they formed their own record label called Agitprop. Agitprop. Okay. Agitprop. Do you know the term Agitprop? That's Agit their Prop? own label. That's their own record label. But do you know what the term Agitprop means? Uh, no. So Agitprop is uh, an adjective now, but originally it was like specifically a political or communist propaganda in art or literature. So like you would say... Um, Mr. Rogers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a, a, <laughs> a Tucker Carlson would call Mr. Rogers Agitprop. So the prop part is propaganda. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the agit, I believe, is agitation, but I'm not I positive. Guess Mr. Rogers is uh, agitating. So, how does a band that started out sounding like that score a gigantic crossover hit that sold 880,000 records in just the United Kingdom? Wow. It peaked at number two on the UK singles chart. It topped the charts in Australia, Canada, Ireland, Italy, New Zealand, and it hit number six on the US Billboard Top 100, although it was number one in the US Modern Rock and Mainstream Top 40 charts. How does that happen? Or, as Jacobin Magazine puts it, Chumbawamba's story is like an allegory. What does a fully realized radical band do when they run up against the contradictions and limits of a conservative subculture? If you had the opportunity to support yourself, your family, and your local community with $100,000, would you allow your legacy to be reduced to a CGI dancing baby two-minute pop song? Okay, a few things. <laughs> yes. How did they get the 100000 we're, we're, this is this is the the thesis question of the okay. of the episode. Isn't the dancing baby from like a Rubachaka or something else? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 from something else. Okay, it's and from <laughs> Allie McBeal, and it was. Yeah. Um, I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. But I think what they're talking about is like equating this song to something like that song, like Allie McBeal. Okay, and then lastly, <laughs> theory theory it's a josie and the pussycat situation oh you think that the record label manipulated them no that they're that they're manipulating us with their pop song but really we're getting subliminal messages of anti-establishment oh interesting <laughs> so jacobin magazine is like a famous lefty leftist magazine and i have mixed I, I, while sharing a lot of their political ideology I have mixed feelings about them they seem kind of on their high horse about basically everything but we're going to hear a lot from them okay so in 1982 the initial lineup of Chumbawamba was Alan Boff Whaley heretofore just known as Boff Whaley okay Danbert No Bacon <laughs> what Danbert so, No Bacon yeah his real name is Nigel Hunter but he goes by Danbert No Bacon No Bacon uh-huh Two people named Midge and Tommy, who I could not find any further information on. And the, f and the four of them were in a band called Chimp Eat Banana. Ch I'm sorry, Chimps Eat Banana. And they were it's joined. not grammatically correct. I know. That's, I know. Uh, 
and it's like it's like dog bites man chimp eats banana sure 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 um and they were joined by this dude lou watts and chimp eats banana would pull stunts they would constantly change their their musical styling they once showed up to like a peace punk show playing toy instruments which like i have seen bands do shit like that there was mm-hmm. a band in philly back in the day called mini band and they played toy inst- they played like speed speed punk on toy instruments it was awesome love it so on the name chumbawamba this is from jacobin the name chumbawamba was a running joke with band members who competed to see who could tell the most ridiculous story about where it came from one origin story comes from boff whaley's memoir when chimp eats banana were busking in paris quote everything went well until a troop of 12 smiling African drummers turned up next to us. They drowned out our weedy rock and roll with booming beats and mass chants. And one of the chants went chum, chumba, wyla. It didn't sound right. And written down, it lost all of its rhythm. So we changed it to chumbawamba. It meant nothing, signified nothing, and didn't attach us to any preconceptions. That's not, a, that's not really what happened, though. I was like, is this the fake origin story? That's or the, the fake real origin one? story. Okay. The more widely accepted story is that Dan Burton O'Bacon had a dream about gender confusion. And in his dream, he found he was like in a pub or something, and he found the male and female restrooms labeled Chumba and Wumba. That was his dream. That was his dream. That's a very pretentious dream to have in the eighties. It is a pretentious. So so <laughs> but once again, like right side of history. Th- that translates to a band called that translates to a band called like man woman gender confusion do you when you dream do you see letters do you read sometimes i don't often and i find that i can never like dial the right number it's like a recurring thing weird or like i'm trying to get a hold of someone and my phone's not working or like i just can't enter the right numbers it's hard for me to read my sleep but i know it d- definitely does happen Okay. I feel that I'm a very advanced dreamer. I have lucid okay. dreams. Good for you. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, but I'm also number dyslexic. So. Oh. Um, by the end of 1982, the band had expanded to include Alice Nutter, um, whose previous band was called Ow, My Hair's on Fire. No. And Dunstan Bruce. Um, and all eight of them were living in a squat in Leeds, which is in England. So this is a quote from Alice Nutter in the AV Club. We were a commune for years. We shared our money. We shared cooking. We bought everything together. If we worked, we put our money into the shared pot. We lived differently than most bands. By the time we did have a hit, we knew the best and worst of each other. Most bands fall out because of money at that point, but we shared everything equally. Including a bathroom? I guess so. Boff Whaley uh, was interviewed. He's the guitarist. A lot of peeing in the sink in that house. <laughs> oh yeah um <laughs> boff whaley the guitarist was interviewed in the with the guardian he said when chumbawamba started in 82 we were all squatting in a big empty house doing part-time jobs and sharing our money we were an anarchist collective influenced by the sex pistols who are going to get their own episode and the clash but right from the start we wanted to sing harmonies and have sing-along choruses we didn't make any money for at least 10 years but because we played, oh, because we played benefit concerts all the time, strikes, picket lines, anti-war events, but we had a real laugh. Before we released a Chumbawamba album, there was a musical movement around called Oi, like Oi Punk. Mm-hmm. And it attracted a lot of fascists. And so they, they invented, this is Boff Whaley's quote, we invented an Oi Punk band 
and and uh, were invited to record a song in these posh studios in London. And so they invited a bunch of skinheads to join them. And the song was called I'm Thick. And they just shouted I'm Thick 64 times. And that was the song. They were just like taking the piss, I guess. And that album actually came out. But I could not find a recording of I'm Thick. I looked Robin for so Thicke long. Robin has a big dick. Yeah, right. And then there's Dunstan Bruce. We're going to largely be talking about Dunstan Bruce. He is technically not a founding member because he joined like in the fall of 1982 and not the early 1982, whatever. But semantics. I mean, in his bio, semantics, but his bio lists him as a founding member of Chumbawamba. Yeah. But he's not on the recording that we listened to called Three Years Later. He's not. Okay. He's not. That's why that's why I'm arguing semantics on this one. But okay. he Dunstan Bruce is the guy with the bleach blonde hair who's singing right. in Top Thumping. He likes Billy Idol a lot. I guess so. By the mid eighties, Chumbawamba released a Revolution EP, which quickly sold out of its initial run and it was rep- repressed. And it reached number four on the UK indie charts and it stayed there for thirty four weeks. So they had like kind of a minor it was an indie chart, but it had kind of a minor hit. And this is, we're going to listen to the first song off of that EP. Okay. The entire EP is 10 minutes long. Oh, great. (laughs) So we're just going to listen to the first (laughs) one. 13 years of the same old shit of music, money, hits after hits, smiles, lies, sales, walls, and 30 years of rock and roll. They're changing it. What's the I have to stress, this is the band that released Tub Thumping. I am flabbergasted by this. Isn't this this crazy? (laughs) Yes. And it's like same name, same lineup. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it. Okay, that was great. That's the first song. It's 38 seconds long. Then they released their first LP in 1986. And the LP is called Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records. Interesting. It was a critique of Live Aid. I was going to ask. Yes. And so they were a protest band who played a lot of charity organizations and basically made no money for the first 10 or 15 years of their careers because they just gave everything away. Mm. And then Bob Geldof in 86 raises millions of dollars with Live Aid and like, how does he spend that money? We don't know. And so... The band argued that Live Aid was primarily a cosmetic spectacle designed to draw attention away from political co- the real political causes of world hunger. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to listen to the first song. First, it's like, a, it's like a double song off of Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records. Um, it's eight minutes long, but it's, I think, important for us to listen to the whole thing. So this, this song is called, this double song is called How to Get Your Band on TV. Okay. From the album Pictures of Starving Children. It's a double Children's. song with the same name? Yeah. So once again, because, this, because they're like an anarcho-punk band, they don't believe in titles of songs and whatnot. So How to Get Your Band on TV is broken up into two parts. The prelude, which is two minutes long, and then starting at about two oh nine, uh, the song is called "Slag Aid." Okay. So, but together they are known as "How to Get Your Band on Television." Fuck off and die, you fucked up slag. 
Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> that is yes. Uh, so this, you ready for yeah. how to get your band on television? All right. Starvation charity and rock the and roll lies in tradition of the company, and I've got hunger working for me. Listen, and you begin to understand. I built my profits on stolen land. It's the economics of supply and demand, and I make the demands around here. What? Oh, okay. They're sampling it. Mm-hmm. Sampling We Are the World. So thus begins Slag Aid. Yeah. 
critical of the Beatles, but they clearly had a little Beatle fetish. Yeah. This is your life. Thank the Lord that you were born white. And thank apartheid for this Freddie Mercury wasn't white and he had AIDS. He didn't, no one knew he had AIDS at this point. Okay. He's right with a suit full of compassion and a god full of shite. Steroids of those who would doubt. Coca Cola for the peasants to end this drought. David, you're working on it so much. draw the line right now. Yeah, they're evolving, right? Yeah. And Cliff Richard, three, two, one. The God who remains when the religion has gone. I wish I had this on Napster when I was young. We've got a special surprise for you right. today. Yeah. So would have radicalized me. Step this way, Cliff. You're such an example of moral worth. Such a purist saint come to bless our earth. And on behalf of our viewers watching on telly, and on behalf of the millions with empty bellies, we're donating something special that we're all going to like. Cliff Richard, we're going to nail you up to a cross tonight! Ladies and gentlemen, just imagine it. Someone comes along, takes everything you own, your space, your hands, separates you from your family. Okay. Feed the world, sell the rich. Starve the rich. So Starve we're gonna do a dramatic rich. reading of the lyrics. The lyrics are in your uh, in your email. So I'm gonna I'll start. So the the premise of the song, like the story behind the song, is like there's a game show live aid. He's like kind of being Bob Geldof at this point. But he says, "Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our show, where you, the audience, participate on our show tonight. We've got a lot of surprises in store for you at home. In keeping with the fashion for charity, not change, here's the contribution we've called Slag Aid. For every pop star that we slag off today, a million pounds will be given away. Paul McCartney, come on down with crocodile tears to irrigate this ground. Make of Ethiopia a fertile paradise where everyone sings Beatles songs and buys shares in EMI. Buys shares in EMI is a really important line in this song. Okay. 
Charity, starvation, and rock and roll. Let it be, eh, Polly? Freddie Mercury, this is your life. Thank the Lord that you are born white. And thank Apartheid for this wonderful opportunity to peddle your hypocrisy in Sun City. A bit of a hot potato in the moment, eh, Fred? South Africa? Well, I'm sure there's a video in there somewhere. David Bowie, The Price is Right, a suit full of compassion and a gobful of shite. Still, the voices of those who doubt, Coca-Cola for the peasants to end this drought. David, the world can only take so much, and with you around, we're in for a really hard time. Jagger and Richards, as in Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, game for a laugh, dancing us down the garden path to a place where money grows on trees, where cocaine habits are financed by hunger and disease. There's only one mountain in the rock and roll business, ladies and gentlemen, and it's Mick Jagger. And then the Alice Nutter sings, ask the puppet masters who pull the strings, who makes the money when the puppets sing, ask the corporations, where does the money go? Ask the empty bellied children, what are we singing for? And Cliff Richard, three, two, one. So real, real quick, Cliff Richard was like a matinee idol kind of guy. So he's like more like an Elvisy, uh, Tom Jonesy kind of fellow. Mm, and he okay. also was on EMI. Okay. And Cliff Richard, 321, the God who remains when the religion's gone. Cliff, we've got a special surprise for you today. So come up closer. Step this way. Cliff, you're such an example of moral worth. Such a purest saint come to bless our earth. That on behalf of our viewers watching on telly, and on behalf of the millions with empty bellies, we're donating something special that we're all going to like. Cliff Richard, we're going to nail you up to a cross tonight. Ladies wow. and gentlemen, just imagine that someone comes along and takes everything you own, your space, your house, separates you from your family, and then hits you in the face if you say anything different. Well, that's what we've been doing to the third world for the past 400 years. That's you and me. You, the viewers at home, me in the studios, the pop stars, everyone. That's how we make the third world every day, today, and every day. If you want any correspondence with the program, just send your answers, letter bombs only, to BP, BP House, like the British parliament house victoria mm -hmm. street london sw1 thank you and good night feed the world starve the rich very v for vendetta guy yeah Fox well day. right <laughs> so a couple things thing yeah. one holy shit yeah this was th this was 36 years ago and this track fucking scorches this is the Fighting hardest words. diss track i've ever heard in my life this is the original roast this is this is an unbelievable roast. <laughs> and thing two, their music is getting way more pop oriented, right? Sure. Yep. It's catchy. Yeah. Uh, in and they're really talking. They're talking about really anarcho communist shit. Feed the world, starve the rich. Good night. But the musical sound has changed. So let's hear from the band as to, for for why. Okay. So this is Dunstan Bruce. I suppose we came out of the anarcho-punk thing, you know, when we first started. I think we thought that how you expressed your anger about the world was by shouting about the world. And I think pretty soon we realized that that wasn't necessarily the best way to do it and that you're not going to reach a particularly wide audience by doing that. I think we were. We were all from these small northern England towns. Our roots were in, you know, small working class communities rather than any sort of middle class bourgeoisie existence. We hadn't come from that. We'd come from working class towns. And it felt like how we'd learned about punk, for instance, was through the mainstream media. And it was through seeing people on television singing about stuff that I thought, wow, that's amazing. When I first saw the Sex Pistols, when I first saw The Clash, and it was not because and it was because not only were they saying something they were writing music that actually had a tune i think we allowed our love of pop music to come through our own music and so it was all about combining our politics 
with a good tune, really. Okay. So that's what mm-hmm. 80s, right? Late 80s. This is mid 80s. This the uh <clears throat> Slag Aid came out in 86. Alice Nutter says in the AV Club, we like pop music. When we first started, we copied all the crass bands, but we the, the bands on the crass record label. But we realized we loved pop music and we bled it in. We didn't want to be just a punk band. It wasn't joyous enough and it was too narrow a label. But we did want to exp- express our political ideas. Their next album was called Nevermind the Ballots, which is a take on the Sex Pistols one and only album, Nevermind the Bollocks. Mm-hmm. Dunstan Bruce again. So this is the this is the quote. This is from an NPR interview. Oh, I'm sorry. This is from a Democracy Now interview. That was an anti. That was an anti-voting album. It was the but not. I think what people misun, misinterpreted is the idea that it's not what we were trying to say was that it's not that moment that you go into a ballot box and put an X on a piece of paper. It's what you what you should do with the rest of your time. And it's how you organize and it's how you agitate and it's how you try and change the world in all the other times. It's not just about going to that point in time and doing that and then thinking that's it and leaving it to other people. It's about totally. not it's about taking responsibility for things yourself as well. 100% agree. Yeah. And so like this uh this interview was from 2016 but like has never been more prescient sure. every day of my whole fucking life. <laughs> so by the late 80s and early 90s Chumbawamba had become had begun to absorb influences from techno music and rave culture. Mm, rave and the culture. band I know, right? And the band members quit their day jobs to begin concentrating on music full time. Because they could now guarantee sales of 10,000 records. How? Just from playing for six years, right? They had this, this minor hit with, or this, this minor hit with the Revolution EP and like Pictures of Starving Children got some airplay. But like, you know, they could sell 10,000 records, which is not a ton of records. Sure, um, but they could but count on that. They could count on that money, right? And okay. they're clearly like didn't have a they didn't have a lot to uh of sp- things that they need to spend on right <laughs> so toilet this paper is, this is where things get a little even weirder i'm listening um so they released this record called slap just and, slap uh, does it's it slap? Called, it does it does slap i i i'm i'm resisting playing a song from every trouble wombo <laughs> record because okay. they're all really good so in 1990 they w- evolved more pop sensibility with the record slap and then in 1992 they put out uh, a record called shh you shh yeah so we're gonna listen to a track from shh shh is a really interesting record so this is uh this is the title track shh, from the record shh, shh. Oh, I <laughs> Okay, I can see some folk influence now. Yeah, so it's it keeps keeps evolving into the Chumbawamba sound that we know. I mean, this doesn't remind me of the Jumbo Wamba sound that we know. It kind of does to me. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting to that 90s rap. It's like bowling for soup. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a fat boy slim sort of thing. 
Danny boy. It's it's dancey, right? It's super, super dancey. But I want to do a dramatic reading of some of the lines from the end of this song. So the the last verse of this song reads, for a few brief words and a few short lines, I was taken to the Coliseum and fed to the lions. And the lions aren't the type that you can really love enough, but you can turn them into rugs. Hey, mate, can you spare some change? Too much. Are you going down on your fashion or down on your luck? Some questions never get dropped. Hey, Mick, are you still dancing? I never stopped. Does anybody remember laughter? Does it say that? Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody remember laughter? So right. they went so after Mick Jagger twice. He, they go after people constantly. <laughs> like compulsively. <laughs> um, so there's going to be a side note and then a side note on the side note. It's like that thing on your lips got something on its lip. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so Jason Donovan was an Australian, is an Australian singer and actor, and he was on the Australian soap Neighbors. Next door neighbor. Next door neighbor, and he had a started his music career in '88, and he was like a a huge star in England. He sold three million records in England. And his debut album, 10 Good Reasons, was the highest selling UK album, uh, highest selling album in the UK in 89. So the Face magazine, which is like a tabloid magazine, claimed that he was gay. And Jason Donovan denied that he was gay. And so Jason Donovan. Johnny boy. Next door neighbor. No, you're <laughs> nothing to do with Donny boy. The, the, it, That's it's a, his name. It's, it, is a, it is a thing. You're just you're just like three years off. <laughs> okay. We'll get to Danny Boy. Okay, fine. So Jason Donovan it. took the Face magazine to court for claiming he was lying by denying he was gay. They said that he was lying about not being gay, so he took them to court. Yes. But I thought, who printed that he was gay? The Face. The Face said he was gay. He said he's not gay. The Face is like, <laughs> Jason Donovan lies about not being gay. Okay. And so... And so he takes them to court and Chumbawamba prints up hundreds of Jason Donovan queer as fuck t-shirts and gives them away for free. Are there any on eBay? <laughs> there might be. <laughs> um, they gave them away for free with, uh, with one of their tracks called Behave. So we can listen to a little bit of We Behave. should track one down for our merch store that doesn't quite exist yet.
So the number one comment on Behave on YouTube is this dude named Metamorphous or a woman named Metamorphous. Sexist. So this person named Metamorphous. And it's from two months ago. And now I shall read it to you. Quote, I seen them on their first tour in USA with this album at Brookwood Music Hall in Dayton, Ohio. They blew me away. Legend has it they were traveling without passports, <laughs> anarchist style, and they made it happen. Their female singer, Alice Nutter, their female singer was dressed as a nun smoking a cigarette and drinking a Budweiser. It was magical. Oh, yes. I'm going to dress as a nun and smoke a cigarette tonight just for shits. Yeah, right? Side note on the side note, the album Shh was originally intended to be called Jesus H. Christ. And it had to be withdrawn and re-recorded due to copyright problems because they kept sampling other songs and other bands without permission. So they the sampled... The Jesus H. Christ had to be... No. No. The, the Jesus H. Christ thing was apparently not the problem. <laughs> um, but the intro was originally a 10-second sample of the intro to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And they, they released a song called All Right Now, which just used the melody All from that right song now, as well as the chorus it. from as well as the chorus from That's the Way I Uh huh Uh huh I Like It. That's the way uh huh. I haven't sung on air in a while. They had a song called Snip Snip Snip, which uses the chorus from Money 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 by ABBA. Are you gonna sing for us? Nope. They Red. had silly love songs, which is uh, what turned into Behave, the song that we just listened to, but originally resembled... I think if people would have had enough of silly love yep, songs. that. <laughs> get off of my... Or they interpolated Get Off of My Cloud by the Rolling Stones. Hey, you! Get off of my cloud! Everyone's happy nowadays from the bug, Buzzcocks, Stairway to Heaven, I Should Be So Lucky by Kylie Minogue, Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yeah, so they just had to bury that entire record. And in the mid-90s, Chumbawamba released... They signed to this record label called One Little Indian, and they released an album called... Yeah, it was... was I think it was because of a band. The founder of the record label was in a band called Pink Indian or something. No, it's a song. One little, two little, three little Indians. Yeah, we don't do that. We don't do that, but I had to sing all the songs that were presented while dogs weren't barking. <laughs> is that <laughs> Did you is that right? <laughs> so One Little Indian has since become One Little Independent Record. So they changed their name. Thank God. But uh, it was set up by various anarcho-punk bands, and it was managed by uh, a, uh, the bassist of a band called Flux of the Pink Indians. So that's why it was called One Little Indian, because it was one of the Flux of the Pink Indians members. Sure. But still, not, not ideal. I think my version is also slightly accurate. Okay. From Jacobin Magazine, in 1996, fate dealt Chumbawamba an ironic development in the form of a fax that appeared backstage at a gig. A fax? Oh, a fax. You know, an old school piece of paper that just came in through a machine. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, EMI Germany offered them a hundred thousand pounds to sign and release their next record, Tub Thumping. Chumbawamba had just been told by one little Indian that they weren't interested 
in releasing Tub Thumper unless they've reworked it to sound more punk. And so EMI wanted to release it. Chumbawamba had been bashing EMI for nearly a decade. Clearly. They had even gone as so far as to smear EMI building in blood. They did not. They Who's did. blood? Who's blood? I don't know. That's doesn't, a very important question. Doesn't say. I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. Uh, in 1989, they appeared on a compilation record called Fuck EMI that decried EMI's involvement in arms manufacture and apartheid South Africa. So Chumbawamba, this is still from Jacobin. So Chumbawamba was left with no other option, and they took EMI's propo- proposition seriously. And there was a roundtable between the eight members about whether to release Tub Thumper on EMI. Is it Tub Thumper or Tub Thumping? So the song is called Tub Thumping. The record is called Tub Thumper. Hmm. So this is, this is weird. Jacobin printed an anonymous roundtable between the eight members of e- of Chumbawamba. An anonymous roundtable. Yeah, so, so there, there's a number and then their statement about just like one, two, three, four, five, and then their statement about whether they think that they should join EMI or not. Oh, so it doesn't accredit, like it doesn't credit who's Exactly. Okay. So band member number one says, I don't think it's a good idea. It stinks of opportunism, desperation, and we're not that desperate. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we should go for it, but I'm not completely convinced. And then band member number two says, I'm in favor of signing. I think we have to because we need to give ourselves a good kick up the ass. Arse. We have to change, not just for us to stop us getting tired of what we do, but because we're in danger of becoming trapped in a scene which hates change and will be boring and will be bored. Band member number three says, the way I see it, we're in this band not just for entertainment, but to stir things up, get people talking, and this will be a way of getting in people's faces and making some sort of impact band member four says i think we'll be crucified to be honest i don't know if it's that's a good thing or a bad thing but i wasn't around when you were doing that anti-emi stuff so at least i have an excuse so that's dustin no i don't know because dustin dunstan has been in the band since 82 so i think it was one of the other members a new a new fish a newisher member so band member five says i reckon we have to be practical about the money and what it means we've tried unsuccessfully to go back and tour the states for like six years or whatever and we can't because we still don't have the record label willing to put out our records there there this emi deal will give us a chance to go to the usa go to japan sell records in countries we've never been before never been able to sell records in before so i think we have to do it and i don't want to go back to changing the beds and cleaning out the toilets at wortley's old folks home this is crazy hypocritical well let's keep on reading Okay. Band member number six says, I'm not convinced by the arguments about money. The money doesn't really matter to me. If, it's, if it was just about that, I think we'd find another way of getting the record out and playing gigs. The idea of change for change's sake appeals to me, but there are countless other ways to change. Band member number seven says, we have to sign. I don't give a shit what other people think. I understand the arguments against it, but we ought to stick our necks out and go for it instead of treading water. And lastly, band member number eight says, well, signing to EMI worries me. It's what it symbolizes, isn't it? Pop culture is all about symbols, and us going to EMI is a bloody big symbol. It says we've changed our minds, we've changed our ideas. I know it's not like that, but it's like it's. But that's what it looks it like. It is like that, and that's what people will pick up on. So I don't want it. But I can see what you mean about us needing a kick up the ass. We do, and I fancy going to Japan too. So the band signs with EMI. 
hugely disappointing. And then they release Tub Thumping. A song about drinking. Well, you haven't really told us what it's about yet, but you didn't argue with my synopsis. So, so the lyrics, if you didn't pick up on it before, are I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. That's the whole chorus over and over again. And then the verse or the second part of the chorus is he drinks a whiskey drink. He drinks a vodka drink. He drinks a lager drink. He drinks a cider drink. He sings a song that reminds him of the good times. He sings a song that reminds him of the best times. The better times. The best times. The better and, and, times. And the, the, there's kind of like a third refrain, which is we'll be singing while we're winning. So what the fuck does this song what mean? What about Oh Danny Boy Next Door Neighbor? It's not Next Door Neighbor. <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> um, okay. It is. Oh, it is. Do don't it. cry. It is. It's Danny Boy. Don't cry for me, next door neighbor. Wow. What an idiot. <laughs> You're going to learn that. I know it's up. <laughs> it is next door neighbor. I thought it was some fucking Latin thing. <laughs> An Excelsius Deo. Okay. Stupid. Um, so what the fuck does the song even mean? According to Dan Burt, no bacon. From the AV Club, the word tub thumping isn't even in the lyrics, never mind the chorus. Tub thumping, by the way, is an old English word, and it's someone getting up on a soapbox before electricity and just saying whatever they wanted to say. People still do it. They stand and they talk with no amplification, getting this off my chest or whatever it is. That's what tub thumping is, but I'm not sure why we call that song tub thumping. I thought it was jerking off in the bathtub. Mm, you would. <laughs> Also from song facts, piss, as in pissing the night away, has a different meaning in the UK than the US. Pissing the night away would translate to drinking alcoholic beverages all night. Sure. Nailed that one. I've nailed everything so far, let's be honest. So at this point, my interpretation of it is that it's like a Whip It-esque song where it's like this fake political ad campaign slogan song of like, we're gonna, I'm, I'm tub thumping, I'm getting up on my soapbox and I'm saying, we'll get knocked down, but we'll get up again. To add to this is, is the album version of the song, which includes audio from, the film, from a film in the beginning of the song, which is like very 1996. How much longer is the album version? Of a minute. One whole minute. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see the baby. Yeah. That's why they got confused about the dancing baby. This, yeah, the CGI baby. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered, but does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. Okay, and there's then there's the beginning of the song, right? So that's actually a sample from a movie called Brassed Off. That's Pete Postlewaite, may he rest. Um, Pete Postlewaite played the apothecary in Romeo plus Juliet. Yes. Um, and. The movie is about a village in northern England where Danny P. Postlewaite is the conductor of a brass band and he has difficulty maintaining the morale of his musicians when the economic future of the area is threatened by the possibility that the local mine will be closed. And so this is the clip from Brass. This band behind me will tell you that that trophy means more to me than out else in the old world. But they'd be wrong. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered. But does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. Us winning this trophy won't mean bugger all to most people. 
But us refusing it, like what we're going to do now, well, then it becomes news, doesn't it? You see what I mean? That way I'll not just be talking to myself, will I? Because over the last ten years, this bloody government has systematically destroyed an entire industry. Our industry. And not just our industry. Our communities, our homes, our lives. All in the name of progress and for a few lousy bob. I'll tell you something else you might not know as well. A fortnight ago, this band's pit were closed. Another thousand men lost their jobs. And that's not all they lost. Most of them lost the will to win a while ago. A few of them even lost the will to fight. But when it comes to losing the will to live, to breathe, point is, if this lot were seals or whales, you'd all be up in bloody arms. But they're not, are they? No, no they're not. They're just ordinary, common, a garden, honest, decent human beings. And not one of them with an ounce of bloody hope left. Oh, I... They can knock out a bloody good tune. But what the fuck does that matter? Now I'm going to take my boys out onto the town. Thank you. Okay, so for context, the coal mines were nationalized in Britain in the 80s, and they were basically starved, and a whole bunch of people lost their jobs and their livelihoods and the will to live. And so in this movie, Danny, P. Postlewaite's character, is criticizing the government for what it's doing to the common man and rejecting an award of success given to his musical group. So can we interpret this movie quote as the band thumbing their nose at EMI because they are getting the big fancy record contract and yet they're saying they're they're including this from this movie where they like reject this guy rejects his success because everyone has treated the common man so poorly no, it's like a total cop out. It's like I did the thing I've criticized everyone for doing my entire life and now I'm just going to put a little clip in as a easter egg to try and absolve myself. Well, the the rest of this episode is going to be real fun for you then. Great. So, from the Washington Post in 1997. This is a quote from the Washington Post at the time. The Chumbies may be inciting revolution, but they're, they also know how to write a great pop song, fusing elements of contemporary pop and techno with old-fashioned British folk, music hall, brass band, and punk rock. The insidiously catchy tub-thumping celebrates the spirit of endurance, as well as a few good drinks. Already, it's been adopted by soused sports yobs and frat boys around the globe. Great. The Washington Post spends a long time in this article discussing each member's hairdo. Really? What what are yeah. they? I don't know. He he has bleach blonde hair. He has a quaff. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so from later in the article, quote, we know that tub thumping is this is this is from Dunstan Bruce 
quoted in the Washington Post. We know Tub Thumping is like a throwaway pop song, but the whole song is about the underdog winning. The chorus, where there's loads of people singing, I get knocked down, but I get up again, I think it strikes a political note somewhere in people. It's not a political manifesto, but we're working in pop culture. We write three-minute pop songs. Alice Nutter says, a lot of protest bands have always dwelled on the negative. We took a conscious decision where we said, hang on, let's talk about winning. Let's talk about the small victories you get. Let's talk about people winning against the state, not the state always crushing us. So you present this example where the underdog wins, and we've kept the ethos all the way through, really. Still, no. Still, no. No. Boff Whaley, the guitarist, says... Tub Thumping was written as a collective. Like everything else, we wanted to make a very English album, and that song is about the resilience of ordinary people. At the time, we lived near a great pub called the Fjord Green in Leeds. Irish, Afro-Caribbean, Asian, white, everyone went there. Our next-door neighbor, who was Irish, would come home drunk every weekend from there and try to get into his house, fall over, and shout for his wife. It was a weekly ritual. What's his name, Danny? (laughs) Next-door neighbor, Danny boy. (laughs) everyone said the single was going to be big but the first time i realized that was when i was in burnley football club which is like a a soccer club having a piss and it came up on the tannoy i don't know what the tannoy is he's not really having a piss right or is he i think he's having a drink okay (laughs) and it came up on the tannoy i almost fainted oh it's a speak it's speakers okay so Tannoy Speakers, it's, a, it's the Bose. name of a manufacturer. Yeah, sure. Came up on the Bose, came up on the... Sonos. Har- Harman Kardon. <laughs> this, week, this week's episode is brought to you by Harman Kardon. Uh, <laughs> came up on the Klipsch. Uh, Dan Burt Novakin in the AV Club says, The success of that song came as a surprise, really. We had similar sounding songs which we played live, certain uplifting songs that the audience recognized, but it taking off was a shock. It wasn't by design. It was very interesting because we'd been immersing ourselves in pop culture and suddenly to be thrust in the belly of the beast at that level. We were cynical. When that happens to you in your early 20s and suddenly you're on David Letterman, you don't realize that all the limos and the aircrafts and How the are label- they in their early 20s? This is 20 years after they started. Uh, 10. Uh, and a half. Uh, 15. <laughs> uh, when that happens to you in your, in your early 20s and suddenly you're on David Letterman, you don't realize that all the limos and aircrafts and the label booking, you're paying for them. We did. We were wise about it. So it's because they weren't in their early 20s that they were wise about it. Okay. We did think in the beginning that it would probably last for a year. And then being with a major label lasted a bit longer than that. How long? Uh, like almost like two years. From Jacobin Magazine, Chumbawamba was blasted for signing with EMI. Although the company was no longer involved with arms manufacture, this is according to Jacobin. <laughs> so they were. I get, according to Jacobin, uh, the decision stood as a huge symbol. People began to tell each other that Chumbawamba had sold out on independent culture and anarchism. Totes. Their decision was anything but haphazard. It was, ca- it was a calculated move to try to step up their propagandistic efforts and to continue to sustain themselves as a band. They found their friends split on class lines about their success. Those from working class backgrounds applauded them, while others voiced sharp criticism. I guess it's kind of like me shopping at Walmart. Like I used to boycott Walmart for being on corporate welfare and just generally being a piece of shit. But then I realized I'm subsidizing their profits anyway. Yeah. So I may as well get the fucking benefits, right? 
Well, someone who was very angry with Chumbawamba, more angry than you are, <laughs> felt who felt very betrayed was Ian McKay of Fugazi. So Fugazi was is a DC punk band sure. who is completely uncompromising with their rejection of any kind of marketing, any any kind of anything. Mm-hmm. They're the the pantheon. They're in the pantheon of DIY punk band. Gotcha. And so Ian McKay of Fugazi was so angry with their decision <laughs> that he allegedly stopped talking to them for several years. Good. They were very good friends and he just cut them <laughs> off. You're done. So this is still from Jacobin. It's hard to say which group had a more profound impact on the self-described anti-capitalist punk scene. Fugazi's symbolic rejection of fame and the profit motive was certainly more popular within it. Ironically, though, some of the bands from the scene they had spent time mothering used their association with Fugazi as a stepping stone to become commercially successful. Fugazi hit a bit brick wall with their American-style, less-talk-more-rock radicalism in the same way that Chumbawamba were consumed by their experience as celebrities and began to criticize the industry from an inside perspective. Fugazi's shows were so accessible that eventually he became inaccessible. Eager attendees had to be turned away at the door because venues would always reach their capacity. Alternately, Chumbawamba had brought the word anarchy into the household. The music industry passed them off as dancing pranksters, conveniently tucking their history as politically active band under the rug. So this is speaking to the kind of Josie and the Pussycats thing that you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. right? Yes. They generously, if we're being generous with them, they signed with EMI in order to get in front of people's Infiltrate ear holes. Infiltrate your brain. Infiltrate your brain. So we're going to do another live read, uh, a, a dramatic reading. So this is an interview between Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! and Dunstan Bruce. Who would you like to be? I'll be Amy. Okay. How did I, how did I know that was going to happen? I don't know because I like journalism and I didn't want to yeah, do a British yeah, accent yeah. and you have to do one. I absolutely do not have to do one. Dunstan Bruce. This is going to start with Dunstan Bruce's quote. I'm Dunstan Bruce now. Yeah, having having the song be a hit was a complete surprise. It wasn't to plan. It wasn't part of a it wasn't we just signed to a major record label, but we had already written the song and it was a combination of circumstance and look, that meant that the song came along at a time when it caught people's imaginations and it just went absolute it went absolutely crazy. I want to go to a clip of your group of Chumbawamba performing the hit song Tub Thumping, which features the memorable lyrics, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You are never going to keep me down. Now, what's what's significant about this particular clip is that this moment of the song being played was on David Letterman's show in 1997, and you sort of did a little improvisation for this global audience when one of the choruses was turned into Free Mumia Abu Jamal. So, real quickly for people who don't know, Mumia Abu Jamal was born Wesley Cook, and he was—he uh, is still alive, but uh, he was convicted of murdering a police officer in 1981, and he was on death row and 
like wrote a bunch of things and there was numerous appears his death penalty was overturned in 2011 but um in he was a member of the black panther party he was a member of the move group that was part of the move bombing where the philadelphia police basically burned a bunch of people alive so he was he was a black political activist in philadelphia and most people think that he was totally railroaded and didn't actually kill this police officer there's a lot of evidence to say that he didn't do it my mom thinks he did it because of course she does i know my dad thinks the hurricane was my dad thinks my mom thinks the hurricane was guilty (laughs) all right back, back to amy okay Talk about your experience on the David Letterman show, how you got there, how you sang the song. It wasn't live, so they could decide whether or not to play it. I think what happened was when we had that, we had when the song went global and when it was such a huge hit over in the States, we made a decision about what we would do having that platform. We were suddenly, we had, we had existed in on, on, on an underground scene for years on the periphery of the mainstream. And then suddenly we found ourselves right in the belly of the beast. And we made a decision that, look. This guy says belly of the beast a lot. I, know, I think the other guy said belly of the beast first. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, look, we've got to have fun with this and we've got to do something with it. We've got to use the platform because it's not... How often does anyone get that sort of global audience and be able to use it for something? And we just decided that we were involved in the Mumia campaign and we thought this is an opportunity to do something. And we just thought, okay, we'll change the, we'll change the lyrics. And we did this a few times. We did it on Jay Leno as well. And then we famously changed the lyrics at the British Music Awards as well. So it was something that we did as a matter of course. With The Letterman Show, we didn't tell him we were going to do it, obviously. And then we recorded it. I think I went off to do a show at Irving Plaza straight afterwards or something like that. But what happened was that they then the record label then got into this big discussion with letterman's people about whether they were going to actually whether they could still broadcast it and they did and so that what was significant for us was that it felt as though because we got a lot of we got a lot of criticism for signing to a major label for having a hit single for entertaining for entering the mainstream and it just felt like at that point that that made it feel worthwhile to us that we were trying to do something with the positions that we were in and we were using that was just one example of us trying to use that platform to talk to talk about other things that were far more important and far more interesting than just being a pop band so we're going to take a quick break from this interview with amy goodman to hear from alice nutter alice nutter says Uh, On this same Letterman thing, we always said that we were only going to do what we wanted to do. I think we were a bit of a shock to people being a band that would say no, but also do things like Letterman or Jay Leno. On Letterman, we changed the lyrics. What did they say no to? Oh, they said no to a lot of stuff. Okay. They said no to a, a bunch of like sponsored ad campaigns and stuff. Okay. So many that I could did couldn't even talk about. Okay. 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 They recorded it an hour before it went. This is about Letterman. They recorded it an hour before it went out. They said, you can't do that. You have to record another one. We said, no, you either use it or you don't. And they had to decide to pull it or play it with this chorus of freeing an ex-Black Panther. And they ended up putting it on. Sick. So back to Amy Goodman. So talk about the Mumia Abu-Jamal moment after it did broadcast. What kind of response did you get to it? We were so happily oblivious to a lot of it because oh then we went on to do something 
then we go and do Jay Leno and we go on Barbara Walters and we talk about anarchism with Barbara Walters, <laughs> which was true? all, I guess I couldn't find the clip. It was like a whirlwind. It was a roller coaster we were on. We were just aware of the fact that we were leaving this trail of chaos behind us that the record company had to deal with. It was always far more interesting causing trouble than towing the line. And so that's, we weren't there. We weren't career musicians. We were passionate about our politics and what we wanted to do while we were in a band and what we wanted to do with that position. So that seemed like the perfect opportunity to mess things up or have fun with it. Now, David Letterman, the show, did put out a caption at the end of the show that said, Views of performers does not represent David Letterman or something along those lines. Is that right? That's brilliant. I didn't know that. That's really good. (laughs) You mean you're learning for the first time that you did not represent David Letterman's views? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. So couple of couple of things this is like we're getting to actually kind of the big inflection point in their career which is the 1998 british music awards literally every single interview and every single bio about chumbawamba talks about this moment really yes i'm excited so this is cobbled together from a lot of different people's perspectives okay Uh, but i'm I'm mostly going to let the band tell what happened but For background, in 1998, the New Labour Party just elected Prime Minister Tony Blair, who Hugh Grant played in Love Actually. He played like a version of Tony Blair, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Uh-huh. And (laughs) give it to me in terms of Love Actually. (laughs) And Deputy Prime Minister John Prescott, who is not in Love Actually. The New Labour Party got elected in part by appealing to unions and specifically the dock workers or dockers. And John Prescott was a former docker. He was a former dock worker. And then they immediately sold them out. Is that where the pants came from? Uh, maybe the dockers wore dockers. I yeah, don't know. that's my question. But, but think of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, like not forgiving student loans or something. Isn't right. That- it's like something that they ran on well, that they said they, that they were going to do. Are they forgived? They are not forgiven. No, they are not. Or sending $2,000 checks per month or, you know, all of the things that they promised they just kind of sold us out on. So I'll let uh, Dan Burt No Bacon tell the story next. Dan Burt No Bacon? I just, like, I need the spelling. I need to look this up. D-A-N-B-E-R-T space N-O-B-A-C-O-N. Oh, Dan Burt is the first name. Dan Burt is the first name. No No Bacon bacon is is the last name. Okay, that's so good. So this is from this is from Dan Burt No Bacon. We had a band meeting about whether we should even go to the British Music Awards. It's sellout territory. And the record company said, you have to go. They'll give you a budget and you can do whatever you want with your performance. And at the time, the local dock workers were on strike. And we'd done a huge benefit show for them. So when we performed, we changed the lyrics to new labor sold out the dockers just like they'll sell out the rest of us. <laughs> also... They give us these big tables and you're served a meal and they have these big buckets with chilled champagne and chilled white wine or full of ice water. Toward the end of the night, our bass player, Paul Greco, said, oh, John Prescott, the deputy prime minister, is right over there. We'd been drinking and I was always the, mo- the one most easily convinced to do a dare. <laughs> Alice Nutter says, we invited a few of the dock workers that we knew to the British Music Awards and if we had won... Instead of us going up on stage, they would go up and talk about what happened. But we didn't win. Okay. So we got drunk. And we felt (laughs) terrible that they weren't going to get a voice on national television. So Paul Greco said, 
Dan's going to go, Dan, as in Dan Burt, is going to go throw some water on John Prescott. Shall we get him from behind? So the reason that this was significant is that he used to be a docker and the dockers had faith that he was going to help them. Paul and I, Paul Greco and I, dumped eight liters of ice water from a champagne bucket on his head. And Dan got arrested. (gasps) They didn't pants him. (laughs) Dan got arrested. Okay. Back to Dan Burt, no bacon. Can you get arrested for dumping water on someone's head? If it's the deputy, if it's like Kamala Harris, probably it's okay. assault. The guy who assault, threw a brother. shoe at George Bush definitely, <laughs> definitely got arrested. That fucking hero. <laughs> National treasure. Back to back to international. He was Iraqi. Oh yeah. So Dan Burt goes says, "I jumped on the table and I threw it on him, and I said." Look, this is for the dock workers. The record company was like, you have to apologize. You got water on his daughter and his wife. And we were like, no way. And now they're going to melt. They sent flowers to him the next day. And it meant we burned a bridge, essentially. You're not supposed to do that. If you, get, if you go to a Pop Awards thing, you're oh. supposed to behave yourself and be a part of the establishment. But we never were. So the flowers didn't really... Didn't, didn't really help. Dan Burt spent the night in jail, but Prescott declined to press charges. Is he a vegan? I, be- I, th- I would guess, right? Yeah. He's like an anarcho-communist punk with a last name, with a, a chosen last name of no bacon. It's either like a cop's thing or a vegan thing. Yeah. So this was an inflection point because... I might adopt the name no bacon for those two very reasons. Go for it. Lindsay no bacon. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan no bacon. Yeah, LLNB. Yeah. There was a mat. This is according to Dunstan Bruce. There was a massive backlash. There was a huge, huge backlash in Britain in particular because of that. Because a lot of people were quite keen on the fact that new labor had just come into power, right? So, very much like, I, I hate to keep making it all about America, but like very much like the leftists who are criticizing Joe Biden and the fucking middle of the rotors being like, well, what would you have him do? Fucking dump a bucket of ice water on him. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. From The Guardian. This is still Dunstan. Alice was doing all the press interviews. Whatever we got up to, she would have to get up at 5 a.m. and defend the next day. She charmed the pants off of Jeremy Paxson, Paxman and ended up on Newsnight two or three times. Nice. So she was, she was like the person that they had to. She was Send there. the woman know, out there. Exactly. From Alice Nutter, I found America strange going from radical politics to finding myself at radio stations at seven in the morning. You've got to be polite. I've met a lot of DJs with ponytails. I enjoyed the surreal novelty of it, but I thought I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. I'm not talking about being in a band. I'm talking about having a taste of fame. I didn't really like it. Ace of base. Ace of base. So from Jacobin, Alice Nutter actually also appeared on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Nice. Saying, saying that she didn't care if fans shoplifted their record. Sick. And it caused Virgin Megastores to pull Tub Thumper from the shelves and hide it behind the counter. And Virgin called the state, Virgin, the company, called the statement a slap in the face. And Alice Nutter responded, we don't have a problem with Virgin's actions. They can feel singled out and outraged if they want. But if we're going to talk about shoplifting, let's widen the debate and talk about why people steal as opposed to just talking about Chumbawamba. So I kind of, I also kind of think that they sold out a little bit, but they were really, really good at like pivoting the conversation back to where it belonged. However. The Their band song is be- dumb. Song's horrible. 
I hate that fucking song. <laughs> do, you, do you understand how many times I had to listen to this song? I, sure. I mean, I think how to put how to get your band on TV is a great song. I think they have great songs. Right. Um, the band also beefed with their contemporaries. Oasis, who they said drink champagne with the Prime Minister. The Spice Girls, who they called posers and five differently dressed tins of beans. Five differently dressed tins of beans. I love it. And they had a back and forth with the Prodigy because they criticized the Prodigy for naming their biggest song Smack My Bitch Up. You're familiar with Smack My Bitch Up? Yeah. Yeah. So Prodigy's Liam Howlett responded in a British magazine. I heard that Chumbawamba got together in 1982. So it's taken them 15 years to come up with one piece of shit record. (laughs) I'd like to point out any one of my symbol patterns is more radical than their entire recorded output, which is basically a waste of plastic. (laughs) I mean, that's a sick burn. It is a sick burn. I don't think it's true, but I think it's a sick burn. Tub Thumper became the theme song for FIFA World Cup 98 video game. And in 2003, it was remixed in a somber minor key by the Flaming Lips. I have some things I want to say about this remix, but here you go. Cannot wait. When did this come out? 2003? Um, I think in 2003. So this is also not good. This is this is just the music of one more robot slash sympathy three thousand and the vocal track from Tub Thumping. It's like not a this is like I would barely call a remix, but like whatever. And I love the flaming lips, especially this record. But like what is this shit? not good anyway it's kind of like hurting my ears and my brain it 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 really really does not uh jive together at all as selected by astronaut sandra magnus uh astronaut sandra magnus astronaut sandra magnus how'd she get into this conversation friend of the show (laughs) chumbawamba's tub thumping was played in 2011 as the wake-up call song aboard the space shuttle atlantis no yes can you imagine we'll be singing i would fucking jump out the spaceship every morning i would just (laughs) re-enter the earth's atmosphere Oh, shit. Um, And to the band's abject horror, it was co-opted by right-wing UK Independence Party leader, Nigel Farage. Do we know? Do you? Do we all know who Nigel Farage is? I feel like I do. He's a Did fucking... Did we talk about him recently? I don't know. Maybe. He's a real fucking knob. He's like to the right of Boris Johnson, who's their prime minister right now. I know who that is. Okay. The Scarecrow Man. You, you, you know we have an audience, right? <laughs> And, of course, it's been in too many movie trailers to count, often accompanying slapstick comedies where someone gets knocked down and then gets back up again. Womp womp. So uh, this is from Dunstan Bruce. This song being used by UKIP, the UK Independence Party, and Nigel Farage is so wrong. I am absolutely appalled that this grubby little organization are stealing our song for use for their own ends. It's beyond the pale, and if they use it again, we will consider legal action. 
Alex Nutter goes a little, I'm sorry, Alice Nutter goes even a little further. She says, if there was ever a gross misuse of a band's music, that's it. As a former member of Chumbawamba, I would like it to go on record that we do not support either, either Nigel Farage or UKIP. In fact, we would go further and say that Nigel Farage is an arse, his party, and his party is mainly made up of bigots and his policies are racist. Boff Whaley says, to 99% of people, we just had that one song. But there's always that 1% who listen to the rest of the album, Tub Thumper, and like it enough to listen to more. I still really like Tub Thumping. I don't feel embarrassed by it at all. I know some bands who hate their songs being popular, but I think, just get off your high horse. The whole point of art is to have an audience. Back to Dunstan Bruce. What we found really liberating for us was that we suddenly did find that we had a lot more money because of the money that we made from the record. So let me say that again. We suddenly did find that we had a lot more money because of the money we made from the record. And so we were, yep, great, good job. (laughs) And so we were in the position where we could help a lot of organizations and a lot of community action groups and a lot of people who previously we would have only been able to give a couple hundred pounds to, we could now give a a couple of thousand pounds to. This is sounding very live 80 to me. I know. Uh, (laughs) One of the points at which I thought this is really good, the position that we're in, is we once agreed for General Motors to use the song for an advert to advertise a Pontiac car. And what we did with the money was, prior to agreeing to do it, we talked to Indie Media and we talked to another group called Corp Watch. These are two watchdog groups about the labor conditions in General Motors plants. And we said, look, we're gonna give, we're gonna give them this song and to use for this advert for General Motors, but we want you to have the money. So they gave us, I think they gave us, I don't know, Say it was a hundred thousand pounds, and we ended up sharing the money. We gave half to Corp Watch, who actually monitored the bad working practices of General Motors, and we gave the other half to Indie Media. Okay. From Indie Media's perspective, this is from Jacobin. There was some discussion about whether we should accept money from GM, says Jay, an indie media volunteer in Philadelphia from the time. Ultimately, we decided that the donation was coming not from GM, but from Chumbawamba. And that despite some of our finance working group members' disagreements with some decisions Chumbawamba has made in the past, we were happy to accept their contribution. So this is tough. I mean, this is like the oil companies funding all of the climate tech research. But like, I don't know. I feel I feel kind of weird about all this shit. I do too. Yeah. I mean, the, but the weirdness is like, I think that they're kind of trying to do their best. Like, I don't blame them for being imperfect anarcho-socialist communists. I blame the system that is completely built to destroy people from or dissuade people from doing anything good yeah dunston bruce left chumbawamba in 2004 and the band broke up completely in 2012 but dunston bruce still performs about their breakup adam mckay director of last year's divisive netflix film don't look up said this on his podcast quote they are the kind of they're kind of the ultimate populist activist story i mean i don't know who else has done it this well on such a such on such a large stage green day had american idiot that was a giant success and it was pretty good but chumbawamba man they never blinked they were always pushing at every chance they had so about 
two or three years ago this band breaks up this was in 2015 when he said this uh about two or three years ago this band breaks up and i tweeted about their breakup and i said i'm really sad and people thought i was kidding but i really was sad this is one of the most this is really one of the most interesting bands and the song tub thumping is a really important song that signaled the end of an era an era dominated by unions and the working class an opportunity for us all that changed and this song is a sad acknowledgement of that time past and also a victorious vow for the future that the working class will rise again that was adam mckay that was adam mckay director of the big short vice and don't, don't look, look up. up when you talked about whatever magazine before and jacobin. you were like well oh well we'll hear some final thoughts from jacobin when you said that, you know, that they're like super lefty, but they're kind of on their high horse. Yes. You said some other thing, too, that kind of reminded me of how I kind of felt about Don't Look Up. Like, I liked it and I agreed with the message, but I also thought that it was like so on its high horse that it would miss the mark. Like, my dad would never sit through that movie. He would be like... Yeah, who's it for, right? Yeah, it's it's too critical of Republicans and it's too divisive. And I so mean, it's or just it's gonna, or it's not critical enough, right? Oh, it depends who you're asking. So, but, the, but that's this the is point this, about being divisive, right? And this is the thing: is like I think that the the you know the Twitter film circles that that I'm that I'm reading are like circle jerks about like oh my god, don't look up like is a is a ham handed allegory like we fucking get it, Adam McKay, which is like one side, but the other side is like oh, we're that has already completely written it off. So like, who's this movie for? Why did it have to be made? And like, if you're gonna make something that pisses people off, like, why not really take a swing at it? Mm -hmm. Didn't we talk recently about someone moderating themselves so much that they completely, oh yeah, accidental racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, good job. Good job, guys. So th these are the final thoughts from Jacobin. For so many bands of the peace punk era and so many radical punk bands today politics is treated as a lifestyle a diet something to boycott a badge to be worn so many people approach the world from a customer satisfaction perspective as if life owed them something do you approve or disapprove was it comfortable how was the service it's like a thousand page online survey that you can't stop filling out where every question is so how do you feel <laughs> Chumbawamba stopped focusing on their diets and start focusing, started focusing on political action. They knew that real change wouldn't come from forming little ultra-radical tribes and cadres. They broke out of the punk ghetto and be, became normal people, spending time at working man's clubs, at bars, at bus stops, and daycare centers. They brought their explicitly anarchist message into a morning television into the morning television programs and interviews and talked and performed on amphitheater stages in front of hundreds of thousands of people. They were loud, social, anti-capitalist, rising out of the flotsam like a contradiction of anti-social social movement. Perhaps from their backgrounds and personalities, they instinctively understood what so many anarchists still don't understand today. Radicals need to become people rather than expecting people to become radicals. Radicals need to become people instead of expecting people to become radicals. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's largely where I land on the topic too. Um, you can't expect everyone to do everything right all the time. Sure. Um, but you also can't. But these are people that were so highly critical of everyone else. Yeah, so and, it's just interesting. And it's also like okay to be disappointed in people. Like people do disappointing shit all the time, 
and and being critical of some of their actions does not mean that we're completely writing them off. Yeah. In t- 2017, Dunstan Bruce performed at the counter rally for the alt-right neo-Nazi Charlottesville rally, the one where Heather Heyer was murdered by a driver. So to be clear, he performed and supported the good guys, the anti-fascists. And he played this song, which was a mainstay of Chumbawamba concerts too, and it's called On the Day the Nazi Died. So we're listen- we're going to listen to a live version of it, which is the kind of the ver- not the version that he played on that day but closer to it than the recorded version okay perfect and that was that day was say one more time that day was the 2017 charlottesville virginia rally where it was the unite the right rally where heather hire heather hare was murdered by a driver yeah and the tiki torches and whatnot okay when, when people really realized what they were dealing with even though many of us had been screaming it for months at that point years and many people still didn't realize it they had all kinds of excuses yeah that's actually really true um okay the day the nazi died we turned it after the war the nazis vanished without a trace but the italians of fascists still dream of a master race the history books they tell of their defeat in 45 But they all came out of the woodwork On the day the Nazi died They say the prisoner of Spandau was a symbol of defeat Boss Hess remained in prison then the fascists they were beat So the promise of an Aryan world would never materialize right. Why did they all come out of the woodwork On the day the Nazi died The world is riddled with maggots The maggots are getting fat they're making a tasty meal of all the bosses and bureaucrats They're taking over the boardrooms and they're fat and full of pride And they all came out of the woodwork on the day the Nazi died So if you meet with these historians, I'll tell you what to say Tell them that the Nazis like Irish never really went yeah. away Well, they're from Northern England, so it's like... houses down and peddling racist lies and we'll never rest again until every Nazi dies. So this is the original version of this is from their 1994 album Homophobia. Okay. And so, so this is what I'll say is like this puts a really fine point on it is if you go to see a Chumbawamba concert because you like tub thumping. And then they whip this song out. I think that they're winning. That's a question or you're saying that's your I think that that, that's my take is I think that they made the right decision by quote unquote selling out because they still played these old songs and they still got up in front of hundreds of thousands of people and said, hey, man, like the Nazis are still here. Homophobia is wrong. Right, using their powers for good, I guess. The evil powers for good. And and trying for as long as they could not to be corrupted by them. But I really would love to, like, and maybe this will be in the documentary. I would love to Ooh, hear... spoilers! Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can cut that out. Yeah. Uh, I would personally love to hear from fans who would who that's their story like yeah i heard tub thumping when i was in seventh grade or fifth grade and i went to a chumbawamba concert and it got me thinking about these political themes and changed my life yeah yeah so in 2014 and 2015 dunstan started making a documentary about chumbawamba called i get knocked down in a turn that should surprise no one he took to kickstarter to finance it 
Oh, great, great, great. And in May 2021, <laughs> right around when we started this show, he finally released a trailer. So this is this is an episode that I have been wanting to do for a really long time, but I was waiting for the documentary to come out. And it's still not out, but this is the trailer for I Get Knocked Down. <laughs> and do we have a release date yet or not? No release date, but it definitely sp- it played at the Sheffield Documentary Fest. Which was when? Which was, which was in June of 2021. My name is Dunstan Bruce. He looks mad. I'm a 59-year-old man. Of course he does. And I'm struggling. Once upon a time, I really thought I could change the world. Make a difference in the midst of all that chaos. But that was way back when. When I was someone. Someone who was at the forefront of the revolutionary vanguard. Yeah, I was the voice of the people. But now, now I'm nothing but a washed up, rinsed out, retired radical. And I haven't got a clue what to do. Yeah, this is someone who was someone once. Aww. It's just it's sad. But maybe it's just self-pitying. I get knocked down. You had singing anarchists on your show. I did. Where did you find them? On the Jerry Springer show? Will you please welcome with the anthem to thumping the mighty Chumbawamba? The MTV News Brief, the Virgin Megastore chain has pulled Chumbawamba's million-selling album Tub Thumper from shelves in wake of singer Alice Nutter's appearance. I think it's okay if you don't have enough to steal what you need. All proceeds of these TV and movie sales go to activist groups approved by Chumbawamba. You're assuming that everybody's got an equal chance and that the rules are fair, and the rules aren't fair. You Labour sold out the Dockers! Just like the sell out the rest of us! That's from the 1998 British Music Awards. He sold out and it all went wrong and he shouldn't have done it. The mainstream, you know, press, they hated us. The really, really purest DIY punks, they hated us. It's the blood of all the anarcho-punks that died when this came out. I was concerned that you were a voice of moderation. Sorry, Shirley, but your son Nigel is a fucking wanker. All of your efforts went largely, you know, just over everyone's head. Like, I don't know what went down. Like, you do seem a little rattled. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered, but does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. I still want to be involved in that agitational propaganda pop this world. Is the, I don't uh, think we should interview be that I was reading modest from. about the effects mm. we have. Bye. Sometimes it's better to just not give a shit what people think. Music as, you know, it's it's a weapon. I don't want what we're writing about profited off of and like a product of capitalism. Every so often you get this gang thing. Yeah. 
And the sum of what you make is so much bigger than what you can make on your own. But we have a world to win, really. And we have the power. It's just saying, look, come on, guys, let's get together. So yeah, this looks horribly interesting to me. Um, and <laughs> sh- shout out to Dan, our our friend of the show, Dan Ramspacker, um, because the Downtown Boys are are interviewed in this movie, and his former roommate Joe DeGeorge of Harry and the Potters is in the Downtown Boys. Sweet. Yeah. So. Hi Dan. Hi Hello. Dan. Hi Joe. So it played at the Sheffield documentary film festival in 2021 there's no no word on its release and uh dunson has a new band it's called ah! it's called interrobang which coincidentally was also the name of a band i was friends with at college really <laughs> but it's not the same guys i checked oh my goodness all right and so this is what we're going to go out on this week this is dunston bruce and his new band interrobang 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 The song is called, Are You Ready, People? So where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, you can shoot us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Let us know if you ever went to a Chumbawamba concert and got radicalized. Please send us some in-mail. In-mail? Some mail. Some mail. And what else should they do? They should like and subscribe to the show. Tell their friends. Uh-huh. And leave a rate and review wherever you get your podcast. It helps other people find us. And tune in next week when we do this all again with another song. I, I tried not to be too depressing this this week. And yet well, you, you still ended seem, on the low note. <laughs> yeah, you still seem depressed. Yeah. Um, do we know what we're doing next, next week? I have an idea. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Lohan, no bacon. Get it right or pay the price. (laughs) We'll get knocked down. We get right back up again. (laughs) Ciao. For the limousine liberals I don't want to be absorbed By everything I love The people just inherit shit Shit, shit, shit And that's it I never wanted compromises I don't care about rebel stances I don't talk about blood stances I don't think about lack of science I don't need that ersatz rebellion I still dream Of revolution